So I want to start off today uh, kind of apologizing. So this is Sanctity of Life Sunday. So normally what would take place on this Sunday is, is we'd speak on, on what God's Word has to say about uh, the sanctity of life and specifically um, speaking about abortion and how God values life. And therefore, as we who are made in His image are to value life and to love the very things that God does. Uh, but, but that's not... That's not our, 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 where we're at today, and I, I want to apologize because when putting together the preaching calendar, I let the sanctity of life slide off the radar, and that's not a good thing. Um, we, as, as Christians, need to be regularly equipped with God's Word to understand how to respond to the things of, of culture, and especially where we're seeing just gross violations of God's word, where let's such as children, unborn children, are being killed. Um, we need to know about it. We need to understand this, that we can speak against, that we know that the correct way uh, to stand against this. And this, today, is the 44th anniversary of Roe versus Wade. And so we're not going to have, um, really, a Sanctity of Life uh, sermon today. But I do want to say a, a few things. Um, yesterday, about 10,000 women were gathered, or 10,000 people were gathered in Olympia supporting women's rights, and specifically, they're supporting the right to kill unborn babies. That's why they're really gathering. They're gathering all uh, across not only Washington, but also uh, throughout, uh, throughout the country. Over 42 million abortions occur every year. That's 115,000 a day. That's all of Thurston County killed in two and a half days. That kind of puts that into just perspective. Um, today, an estimated 92% of all women who receive a prenatal diagnosis of Down syndrome choose to terminate their pregnancies. So there's, there's some horror that's happening now. And, and I realize that there may be some here who have, have had abortions or know, um, know of those who have had abortions. I want you to know there's forgiveness in God's word. There's grace in the gospel. You don't have to be identified by that, but by grace in the word of God, there is forgiveness and there is love. Um, but as Christians, we need to understand the teaching of God's word. We're going to have friends that we know who are wrestling with this. We're going to have counseling opportunities. Um, Psalm 139, verse 15 and 16 says, My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them in the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. God's word from cover to cover, it, it shouts of his love for people, and not just those who are unborn, but also those who are unborn. And as those who have been saved by the grace of God, that we would know God, that we love the things that God loves um, we need to grow in the knowledge of, of, this, um, of this situation, of abortion, of this topic, that we would be able to appropriately speak to others, that we would understand the issue at stake. And so um, I want to apologize that that's not what we're going to be spending the majority of our time on this week. I want to do a better job shepherding here on that. Um, in fact, I, I debated about rewriting the entire sermon last night, but I didn't think that would go really well. I wasn't sure what that would look like, and so... Um, probably in a couple of weeks, we will, uh, um, we will do one on the sanctity of life here on Sunday. Uh, but I want to go ahead and pray, and I, I want to pray specifically for, um, 
but this is abortion issue. And um, on this Sunday, on this Friday, uh, there's a, a march for life uh, that'll be taking place in Washington D.C. Uh, of those of women of of all people standing and supporting the unborn child. And so, uh, let's pray. Father, we come to you. And, and Lord, I thank you that your word reveals your love for us. And it reveals your knowledge of us. It, renew, it reveals your grace and your care for us. And, and that grace we see did not start when we first breathed our first breath of air. But it, was, it began in past eternity. Lord, as you, as you foreknew us, and Lord, as you, as you were forming us in the womb, you did so with care and greatness. That we could say we are wonderfully and fearfully made, not because of anything that we have to do, but simply because you are the giver of life. And Lord, may we never forget that. You are the giver of life. And Lord, we, we come to you about this issue of abortion. And Lord, I pray that we as a church would grow in our understanding. I pray that we grow in our support of ministries like CareNet here in Thurston County. I pray that we grow in our, in our advocacy of um, pro-life just here in our church and that we would proclaim your love for all, even the unborn child. Lord, grow that conviction in us as a church. Lord, we thank you for your word and how you have revealed your love for us. Now, continue to conform us into your image that we would love as you love. In your name, Jesus, amen. We are in a series, and the series is called The Five Solas. Um, the solas were brought about during the Protestant Reformation 500 years ago, and they were brought about in order to define the gospel. Now, when I say they were brought about, I don't mean that 500 years ago the solas were developed as if that's where they first originated. Um, rather, we see the solas all throughout Scripture, but 500 years ago they were articulated because the church began to define the gospel a different way, and so... Um, Reformers were coming together, defining the gospel according to God's word, and the five solas is what emerged. So often we will say it this way, the gospel comes to us <clears throat> by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, according to scripture alone, for God's glory alone. Those are the five solas. Today we're going to be looking at faith alone. Specifically, why is it that we are declared righteous by faith and not by works? Medieval theology had taught grace was needed by God to be righteous, but was not sufficient in itself. So we needed to add something to God's grace. It was grace plus works would open the door not to be saved, but for the possibility of being saved. And the way you received grace was through the sacraments. Sacraments were, um, at that time, baptism, communion, marriage, confession of sins, and, and several others also. Now I want to just a side note, uh, the Catholic Church holds seven sacraments. Um, we as Protestant churches, we hold two, communion and baptism. And so at this time, uh, 500 years ago, Martin Luther, because he knew through the confessing of sins, he would receive grace. He would spend hours of day, hours a day confessing his sins, hoping to receive more of God's grace, that God's grace plus his effort would help make him righteous. 
So he would confess again and again, and as he would leave the confessional, he would then remember a sin. He'd run back in, confess another sin. And in fact, Martin Luther confessed his sin so much that one of his superiors said, look here, Brother Martin, if you're going to confess so much, why don't you go do something worth confessing? This is good counsel here. Kill your mother or father, commit adultery, stop coming in here with such flumery and fake sins. So what we see here, at this time in history, their understanding of sin was not what we see in God's word. What they saw is that sinful humanity was merely sick. It's not that we were rebellious enemies of God. We were just sick and we needed to be healed. We needed just a rather what we would call a boost, a Red Bull of grace that would come inside of us, combined with our works, and then we could hopefully reach righteousness. The problem was Luther was taking the teaching of the Catholic Church very literally and trying to play it out. And he said, look, if I can obtain grace so that... I can then become righteous. I'm going to confess sins all the time. I want nothing to be unconfessed. But through all of his confessing, he, confessing, he never had the slightest bit of hope, but rather he continued to become more and more depressed seeing how sinful he actually was. And as Luther continued to read the word of God and understand it in context, what he saw was that justification is not a process but it's a declaration by God. The church has said we need to make ourselves righteous. Your works plus God's grace will be the way in order to earn righteousness and to grow in that. But Luther saw scripture rightly and he said, no, we cannot make ourselves right. Only God justifies by faith in Jesus Christ. And so how big a deal was this? How big is it that now Luther is going to be preaching Faith alone is what justifies us, but the Catholic Church says, well, actually, you need grace and you need works in order to be justified. Well, it was actually a pretty big deal. This wasn't just semantics. In 1545, the Council, the Roman Catholic Church came together to form what is called the Council of Trent. There the church said, and this is a quote from the council, if anyone says that by faith alone, the ungodly are justified in such a way as to mean that nothing else was required, meaning works, to cooperate in order to receive the grace of justification, and that it is not necessary for man to be prepared and disposed by the movement of his own will, meaning he doesn't need works. Let him be anathema. It went on several more times to then say, if anyone believes that they are justified alone by faith, let him be anathema. They went on to say, if you think that you can have assurance of your salvation by faith alone, without works contributing to your righteousness, let him be anathema. And the word anathema means to be an abomination. They were sentencing Martin Luther to hell and anyone else that would believe justification comes by faith alone. Now, unfortunately... The Catholic Church has never rescinded the Council of Trent. Now, admittedly, they have softened on their approach to it, on their describing of it. Um, But technically, it would be very hard for them to rescind that council because if you remember a couple weeks ago, we were looking at Scripture alone. What the church had done at that time is they had elevated not only the Pope to Scripture, but they also elevated tradition, which councils were considered a tradition of the church, and therefore they were inerrant and infallible. And so the council spoke with the very same authority 
that God's word does. At least that is how the Catholic Church communicated it. The question we come to is, is this true? Are we declared by an, by a right, are we declared righteous by an act of God's grace through faith? Or do we have to make ourselves righteous in order to become acceptable to God? And this is, this is pretty important, right? I mean, if we believe that there is a righteous God, and what Scripture says is that we all stand condemned before Him, is there a way for us to be justified? Is there a way for us to be righteous? And if so, how? And there's really no other question that's greater that faces humanity than this. How do I obtain a correct standing before God? And today we'll see from Scripture that man is justified by God through faith alone without any contribution of works. And, and I want to say, this is, the, this is a distinguishing mark of Christianity. All other religions emphasize that salvation comes by some sort of personal effort. Every other religion does. Christianity stands alone and says, the gospel comes by grace alone. Through faith alone. And that is what we are going to look at today. And so we're going to be in Romans chapter 3, verse 19. Uh, so I want to encourage you to stand. One thing we do here is we stand at the reading of God's word. And if you wonder why, I encourage you to go back. Look, listen to the sermon two weeks ago where we look at the word of God. And we understand that it comes with the full authority of God, sufficient in itself, for proclaiming the gospel of God and giving life. Verse 21, or verse 19, Romans 3. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law come knowledge of sin. But now... The righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith, this was to show God's righteousness, because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time, so that he might be the just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Then, what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also. Since God is one who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. Let's pray. Father, we come now into one of the greatest passages in all of your word. One of the deepest, most glorious truths, justification by faith alone. And Lord, I pray that as we come through this word that you would open our eyes 
to the understanding of your word, that you would give us wisdom, that your spirit would be working in our hearts right now. And I pray that if there is anyone here who does not know you, that your spirit would be working in them right now, that you would justify them, open up their eyes, that they would see the beauty of your son, Jesus Christ, and they would declare you, declare you the savior of their life, and that they would repent and believe in you. God, we we pray that as we come through here today, help us understand salvation by faith alone. Lord, I pray for all those who are believers here, that we would understand your word, that we would love your word, and that as we battle with anxiety and earning and proving ourselves here on earth, and even thinking that we can improve our positions before you, may this truth lay that battle to rest, and may we see that we are justified by faith in your Son, Jesus Christ, not by our works. May we see that there is nothing we can do to improve our position because there is no need to improve our position. God, we pray this in your wonderful name, Jesus. Amen. You all may be seated. We have a lot to go through today, and we're going to try to get through it all. We're going to go through these These verses beginning in verse 19, the first point, the law justifies no one but condemns all. Since chapter 1, Paul has been making a strong case. All of humanity is sinful and therefore under the wrath of God. So because of sin, we have become enemies of God, rebels against his kingdom. Every word we speak is full of venom. Uh, We're no different. If you go back to Genesis, uh, chapters, verses uh, Uh, Chapters 10 and 11, where we see the Tower of Babel being built. They wanted their glory, they wanted their kingdom, and they rejected God's kingdom and his rule. And we are no different today. We want our glory, we want our name to be great, we want our kingdom, and we do not want the kingdom of God. This is why in verse 19 we see the law makes the whole world accountable to God. We also see that the law reveals our sin. Look at the end of verse 20. Through the law comes knowledge of sin. I hope you know, the law was never given to declare anyone righteous. That is not a function of the law to declare anyone righteous. The law was never given as a means of earning our salvation. This is good for us to be reminded because I think many Christians think, well, in the Old Testament, they were saved by keeping the law, and the New Testament were saved by grace. No, it's always been by grace alone, through faith alone, which we don't have the opportunity to unpack all of that today and go into Romans 4 where Paul will then be looking at Abraham and David and Old Testament saints and prove that they were saved by faith or through faith alone, the very same as we are saved today. The law shows that we are sinful. The law shows that our best efforts are not good enough. For even if we were to obey the law with our hands, our hearts are permanently rebellious towards God. Many of you know the very first commandment. Anyone know the first commandment? Exodus 20, verse 3. Anyone? Go ahead. The pressure. I'll read it. You shall have no other gods before me. See, everyone knows it until, like, you're called on. You shall have no other gods before me. So even if we were to keep all the commands with our hands, and it looked like we were morally keeping them. Our hearts are naturally bent away from God. If you remember, the rich young ruler, he comes to Jesus and says, I've kept all the law. 
except he loves his money more than he loves God. John Calvin, the reformer, said, our, heart, our hearts are idol-making factories. We are bent on worshiping things other than God. This is why we read in verse 20, By the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. The word justified means declared righteous. So the law condemns us guilty. It is our prosecutor, and it shouts, not righteous, guilty. That's what we're saying. That's really the climax of going from chapter 1, verse 18, all the way to chapter 3, verse 18. Paul has set up, we are guilty before God. We are not righteous. There is none who are righteous. If you look at chapter 3, verse 10 through 11, it says, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. And if you keep on reading, you will read one of the most horrible descriptions of humanity and it's horrible because it's so true as it depicts us in our sin but now in verse 21 there's going to be a massive shift in paul's writing here paul's going to tell us how unrighteous man now becomes righteous it's been said that these next six verses are the most important words ever written It is surely the deepest, most grandest, most beautiful theology we can behold. And so I want to encourage you, read this over and over, this passage, especially verses 21 through 26. Read this tonight. Read this all this week. And I want to point out one other thing. When a word is repeated many times, so when you're at home and you're reading your Bible and and you're going through your Bible reading plan and, and you're reading it to be changed, not to finish, so you're going slowly and you're taking your time and you're praying through it, you're going to see often that words are repeated. When you see a word repeated multiple times, that ought to clue us in that the author is communicating something. So author, so often a repetition of words is cluing us into the main point that the author is trying to communicate. And so what we have here is the word faith is mentioned eight times in the next ten verses. The word righteousness is mentioned four times in verses 21 through 26. And the word justify or a form of it is mentioned five times in the preceding verses here. So what Paul is going to have to say is something about righteousness, faith, and justification. And that's what we're going to look at today. Point two. The righteousness of God has been revealed apart from the law. Look at verse 21. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The words, but now, something new has happened. So before it was manifested by the law, but now it's manifested apart from the law, meaning revealed apart from the law. Before, the righteousness of God revealed, was revealed through the law. The law revealed God's righteousness. It revealed his rule. It revealed his holiness. But now, apart from the law, God's righteousness is being revealed, but yet it does not oppose the law. So it's not coming And it's saying the law doesn't matter anymore, but it's actually supported by the law. It's it's not against the law. In fact, Paul says the law and the prophets, which means the whole Old Testament, it bears witness to it. So this revealing that's happening right now is what the entire Old Testament has been pointing us towards. It's saying that, yes, the law reveals the righteousness of God. 
but there's one who is going to come. There's something that's going to happen in the future that's going to reveal the righteousness of God apart from the law. And so how has God's righteousness been revealed apart from the law, but also anticipated by the law? Well, that's our next point. The righteousness of God comes through faith alone and Christ alone for all who believe. Jesus Christ is the righteousness of God. What we see is that all of God's righteousness is revealed perfectly in Jesus. It says, but now, verse 21, the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. The law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. Jesus Christ comes as the righteousness of God. This means that Jesus is the one that the Old Testament law and the prophets, the entire Old Testament, has been pointing us towards. So that means when we're reading the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Lamentations, Habakkuk, all these great books, we ought to be looking at them. How do they point towards Jesus? How are they bringing forth truth that ought to direct our attention to the coming of Jesus Christ and faith alone in him? So what I want to do is I just want to slow down to make sure we see what Paul is saying here. First, Paul is saying faith is the means of being declared righteous. It says the righteousness of God through faith. So it's faith is the pipeline that we receive God's righteousness. It's the way in which it is, it is brought towards us. And notice it's faith alone. Paul is purposely telling us how we obtain a right standing before God. And he does not mention anything of works. He mentions it is through faith in Christ. In fact, from chapter 1, verse 18, through chapter 3, verse 9, or chapter 3, verse 20, he has been saying it's not by works. It can't be by works. So he has ruled out the possibility of works. It is nothing that we do because it is by faith. So how? Well, before we go, so let's define faith real quick, because I think sometimes that sounds like one of those Christian words that we just say, yeah, faith. What is that? Um, so faith we could define kind of in three ways. Um, it, there's knowledge to faith. Those who say, look, faith is blind, well, well, that's wrong. Faith isn't blind. Faith always has an object, which we'll see in a moment is Jesus Christ. And, and there's always knowledge, including in faith. So there's, there's a knowledge that has to be had. But it's not about just having a knowledge. You have to actually believe that knowledge is true. So you have to assent to that knowledge. But it's not enough just to know the knowledge is true. After all, in James chapter 2, we see that the demons know that there's one God. The demons know that Jesus is God, and they don't bow before him. So it's not enough just to have knowledge. It's not enough just to know that knowledge is true. We then must believe in it. We must trust in it. And this trust is not a, a, a bland trust, but it's a delight. You're trusting, you're delighting in the one who has come. That through faith in him, through knowledge of him, a sense that, that he is the true son of God, and that by death on the cross there's forgiveness of sins, and that by trusting in him, I am saved. There's delight and treasuring in there. So when we talk about faith, we're talking about there's a knowledge, there's a scent to that knowledge, and there is a belief or a treasuring of that knowledge. So how does this work then? Well, Christ is the object of our faith. Verse 22, the righteousness of God through faith in what? In 
Jesus Christ. Look, you can have faith in whatever you want. But the strength of your faith is based upon the strength of its object. And here, the object of our faith is Jesus Christ, the Son of God. The one who has eternally existed with the Father, who upholds all of creation with his word. Our faith is fixed upon Jesus, the one who dies on a cross, so that our sins could be forgiven. We could be adopted as sons into the family of God. Our faith is a means of clinging to Jesus. Jesus is the one who our faith fixates upon. Jesus is the righteousness of God that we receive by faith. When we're talking about the righteousness of God, we're talking about who he is, that he's perfect, an attribute of God. All that he is, he's righteous. No sin, no marring of his character at all. When we're also talking about righteousness, we're also talking about right standing before God. And so now, the perfect nature of God is revealed not, is revealed not in a thing, but it's revealed in the person of Jesus Christ. And the way we, we, we cling to that, the way we grab on to that, is not by our works, but by our faith, trusting that he is the Son of God who has died for us so that we could be forgiven of our sins. You see, Paul doesn't say we need to improve on ourselves, but rather he's talking about we receive an alien righteousness. We're not about making ourselves more righteous, a little bit of grace, a little bit of our effort. You know, we're sick, but slowly we get better. Many of you have been sick lately, right? Some of you are sick right now. I think our church has been plagued with the plague. Um, I know our family was plagued in December. Um, Everyone seems to have been sick lately. Um, But we get better, and we take medicine like grace. We just get better. That's not the teaching of Scripture. That's the teaching of the Catholic Church 500 years ago. But what we have here is that we don't need just an elixir, a red bull of grace. What we need is to be killed and made new, which comes through faith in Jesus Christ. And we receive what is called an alien righteousness, meaning it's a righteousness outside of ourselves. It's nothing that we produce. It's nothing that we make within us. But in reality, Christ gives us his righteousness. It's outside of ourselves. We need the perfect, most holy, without blemish, glorious righteousness of Jesus Christ. And that's what we receive by our, through faith in Jesus Christ. That's what it means by faith alone. Isn't that sweet? Like, that's what happens as we have faith in Christ. And notice what the subject is. Everyone is the subject. He says, all who believe. So all who have faith alone in Christ alone are declared righteous. Let's pause for a moment. Anyone who has faith in Jesus Christ has been declared righteous by God. At that moment, you're not then needing to do something. You're not needing to prove yourselves, earn. But rather, at that moment, through faith in Christ, you are declared righteous. This means if you're here today and you've believed in Jesus Christ, that you have faith in Christ, At this moment, you have the righteousness of God. No believer lacks righteousness of God. Do you know that? That is truth to hold on to. You have the righteousness of God. Not because you did something, because you earned something, but simply through faith in Christ. And you don't lack anything before God. Nothing do you lack. Man, indeed, I love Roger. I get a good amen out of him about once. 
once or twice a Sunday, and that's a good thing to amen. There's nothing that we lack in at this moment if you believe in Jesus Christ. If you have faith in Jesus, you are justified, period. End of story. You lack nothing. You see why, why when Luther found out justification was by faith, all of a sudden, I have assurance of my salvation. No longer do I need to do works in order to earn my salvation, but through faith, I've been declared righteous. And if I've been given the alien righteousness of God that now dwells in me through Jesus Christ, when God looks at me, he sees righteous, no longer guilty. That's the good news of justification. So how do we know that it's, it's for everyone? Well, that's because what Paul says. He says, for there is no distinction for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There's no plan B, or C, or D, or E, or which point we keep going. Um, Paul says there's, there's no distinction. Like, it's not that we have some who have fallen short of the glory of God, and we have some who have offended God maybe another way, or we have some who have fallen short, and some who are just kind of sick. And so maybe we need salvation this way by faith alone in these people but here we need faith plus works there's, there's everyone has fallen short there's no distinction whether you're jew gentile whether you're asian african american latino however whoever you are wherever you come from we all have one commonality we fall short of the glory of god and if god does not intervene we would all experience his wrath but he does intervene he does and what we see is out of his grace and mercy, which if you go back last week, we looked at grace alone. Out of his grace, he saves us. Look at verse 24. Or read verse 23, then go to 24. For all have sinned, fall short of the glory of God. This is where we all are. And are justified by his grace as a gift. How many people have ever memorized uh, Romans 3.23? Oh, more of you have memorized it. Everyone knows the Romans road, or at least part of it, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, right? I mean, that's like, they're probably memorizing that downstairs right now. It could be. That's like common verse to memorize. It's cool, right? Like, it's good. But isn't that just like really bad news? I mean, we need bad news because it makes the good news really good. But who's memorized Romans 3.24? Maybe one, maybe two. Like, we all stop short, right? Like, always in Sunday school class or memorize Romans 3.23, you need to know how bad you are. Like, that's, that's good. Like, that's not super comforting. But it's good to know that I, I'm, I'm falling short of the glory of God. I'm rebellious against God. But, but what about verse 22? And what about verse 24 and, and 25 and, and 26 about everything that God does for us? We need to understand this. My wife and I were wrestling around with this the other day. It's like, this is like my, my son coming home and just saying, man, I just bombed my math class. Just bombed the test completely. And it's like, well, did you study? No, I didn't study. Yeah, you totally bombed it. Man, you did a horrible job. Man, in fact, you're pretty pitiful if that's the way you study and then walk away. Like, would that be good parenting? That's almost what we do if we just stop at Romans 3.23. We want to then shepherd him, but there's good news. And we're now going to come alongside you, and we're going to help tutor you. We're going to help you understand math. We want you to know that you're not alone here. That's what we would do as parents. And here Paul says, look, 
We've all fallen short of the glory of God. But the good news, it's by grace we are justified. Justification is a gift. We don't earn it, we receive it. How do we receive it? What do we need to do to earn it, to get it? Nothing. That's the whole point. It's through faith in Christ. Faith is not a work that we do. God gives by grace, and then we muster up enough faith so that then we can grab it. No, that would mean it would be a work from us. But rather, God, by His grace, justifies us, and part of that grace is giving you and I the faith that we need in order to grab a hold of Christ. So all those who have experienced the grace of Christ experience the faith so that they would see Christ and treasure Him and hold on to Him. That's, that's what we have here. That's how we read it. He says um, that we are justified by grace alone. And if you go on down, he then says at the end of verse 20, I'm getting lost in my own notes. At the end of verse, uh, or in the middle of verse 24, by his grace as a gift, it's a gift. It's a gift that we have received. Look at verse 26, the one who has faith in Jesus. It's all about the gift that we've been given through grace. It's faith in Jesus Christ. But free doesn't mean that it's not costly, right? Free doesn't mean it doesn't cost anything. Look at verses 24 through 25. Paul wants to make sure we understand what Jesus has done. Number one, he says, Jesus has redeemed us. Verse 24, you see, through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ. Redemption is marketplace language. It's how they would talk about a slave was redeemed, was, was bought so that they would experience freedom. And so what God does is he redeems us. He buys slaves of sin, and through Jesus Christ, he purchases them so that we would become sons of God. That's, that's the language that he's using here with the word redemption. And then he goes on and, and say Jesus is the propitious offering. Look at verse 25, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood. And you all remember what propitiation is, right? It's wrath absorber. See, I just think that's so cool. Wrath absorber. You guys know that. So this is the gospel plan. Jesus was sent from heaven. Now, don't miss that. He's sent. If you go, whom God put forward as a propitiation. That's the Father. So who put Jesus forward to die on the cross? God did. Jesus isn't sneaking down into earth, saying, I'm going to save all sinful humanity from, from my mean daddy. God sends Jesus down. Satan's not ultimately the one who crushed Jesus. God's the one who sent him to crush him so that his wrath against you and me would be absorbed in the person of Jesus Christ. So that through his death, he would pay the penalty for our sins. We would be redeemed, adopted into his family, and so that through faith alone, we be declared righteous. So let's back up for a moment. Why is it we're only justified by faith alone or through faith alone in Christ alone? Or another way to ask that is, why are we not saved by works? So imagine, and, and imagine you go to a car dealership to go buy a car. You go and you, you test drive the car. You pick out the color you like. 
You get the options that you want. And when it comes time to pay, you bring out like a hundred tacos. And you say, well, I brought these tacos now. And the dealer says, rightfully, well, that's fun. Why do you have tacos? And you say, well, I want to buy my car with tacos. And he kind of looks at you just strangely. We, we don't accept tacos for the payment of a car. That's not the right currency that we take. That's unacceptable for a car. It's not the right kind of payment. In the same way, there's no other currency that God takes than faith alone and Christ alone. The only way we're declared righteous is through faith in Christ. If we show up with works, if we show up with a genealogy tree, if we show up with a good resume, we'll be rejected. And in fact, not only are they not acceptable, but they're insulting to God because we have God putting his son forward to die for you and me. And we're saying, I don't really want that. I have tacos. I would rather be redeemed by my tacos, by my works, by my genealogy. Please take this. It's unacceptable. It's the wrong currency. So anytime we come before God apart from grace through faith in Christ, we're coming with the wrong currency. We're coming with something that God does not accept from us. Only Jesus has satisfied God's wrath at the cross. If you come with anything else, you're coming apart from that satisfaction. And therefore, rather than God's wrath having been poured out on his son, it will be poured out upon you for all of eternity. If you're not trusting in Jesus, I encourage you to do so today. I hope you see this. This isn't something that you have to earn. Salvation is not this, this mountain we have to climb and, and hopefully get to the top or, or get really close to. And, and then God reaches down and meets us halfway and saves us. That's not what it is. If we try to earn our way to heaven, it's like trying to physically pull a car up a wall by your own strength. It's not going to happen. The way we are saved is not by working, but by resting in the work of Jesus Christ. And we do that by grace through faith in Christ. We get to rest in what Jesus has done. So we don't need to strive for what we cannot do. I encourage you, experience the peace of God today by trusting that Jesus has done everything for you. Everything for you. There's nothing outside of the finished work of Jesus that we add to. Therefore, when we come to Jesus through faith, we, we taste his goodness. We taste the gift of salvation. And there's nothing sweeter to your soul, your body, or mind than the gospel of Jesus received by faith alone. So I encourage you, if you're here and you have not received Jesus and you're, you're earning your way, you're thinking, man, I can make my way up this mountain. I am good. You don't have a chance of getting up the mountain. That's the good news. God came down the mountain so that he would do all that he requires and so that through faith in Christ you would be saved. So what we see is that the gospel comes to us through faith that we'd be justified in Christ. We're declared righteous. But that's not the only thing the gospel justifies. The gospel justifies God also. Do you know that? Like the gospel justifies 
God. That's our next point. The gospel justifies God as just so he can justify those who have faith alone in Christ alone. Have you ever wondered how Old Testament saints like Abraham and David were saved? Now, you can go to Romans 4 later, and it's very helpful to go to Romans 4, and he will walk through how they're all saved by faith. Um, but in the second half of verse 25, we read, this, this was to show God's righteousness. The this refers to the gospel that Paul has just explained, that Jesus comes to redeem us, and as the propitious offering, this, this Jesus was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. Like, Abraham was saved through faith, but what about Abraham's sins? Like, God just kind of passed over those. And what about David? He killed Uriah, adultery with Bathsheba. Where's the wrath absorbed in the Old Testament? We don't see that. In fact, there's this tension as we're going through the Old Testament. How is God saving these people? Like, they have faith in him, I get that. But God is like this unrighteous judge, just kind of throwing all the sins underneath the rug, just saying, well, we just won't look over there. But what was happening is God was storing up his wrath for a later time. It's kind of like when parents, uh, I heard this illustration um, from another pastor, and he said, um, perhaps when you're out, your kids do something, deserving punishment, but you're out, and you decide, it's not really the right time to do that. And so you let your children know, when we get home, we will be punished. This always makes that drive home wonderful as a perfect silence. As you get home, the kid like runs and throws their PJs on to hopefully fall asleep super fast. Or maybe they start doing chores right away as, in main, as a way to appease your wrath. Whatever they do, I'm sure that you've experienced this. I have experienced this. Um, but at that moment, the parents are, are, are demonstrating forbearance. They're patient with their children. They're, they're not demonstrating their wrath or their punishment against them at that moment. It'll be held off for a period of time. And that's what happens in the Old Testament. God doesn't wipe the sins away and put them under a rug so that it's like they didn't happen, but they're stored up. So that when Christ comes, he would absorb the wrath for all who have believed in the Old Testament and in the New Testament who have come to Jesus through faith. So whenever you're wondering, how does that work? Or if your kids ask you, or if someone asks you, how were they saved in the Old Testament? Well, they were saved by faith in Christ. You go to Romans 4, walks through that. Well, but how was their sin dealt with? Really good question, because we know the sacrificial system didn't actually take away their sins, but it pointed towards Jesus, who would come as the ultimate sacrifice, who would actually absorb God's wrath for all who would come. And as we go through, then we see verse 26, Jesus' death justifies God in justifying sinners. Look at it there. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he, God, might be just, again just, so it justifies him. He's just in forgiving people in the past because of Jesus and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So not only can he justify those in the past, but he can justify those in the future because Christ has come to absorb his wrath. This ought to make us pause. God does not wipe sin away. If we do not have faith in Jesus, we will come to face God one day and his wrath will be fully poured upon us. The floodgates of his wrath will open and we will be destroyed by them. And it's not a destroying into an obliteration, but it's an eternal suffering of death. 
that we will experience. That's why Christ came. To absorb that. So that God could be just in justifying you and me and all who have faith in Jesus Christ. So when we go into verses 27 through 31, we go into implications of the gospel. We're going to go through these a little bit quick. But number one, justification by faith alone excludes boasting. Look at verse 27. What becomes of boasting? Isn't that a good question? Okay, we're saved by faith, but we have all these works. We do all this stuff. Isn't it good for something, Paul? I mean, you can just see them saying, okay, Paul, I, I get this, but like we, we still get a better seat in heaven, right? Like, if I'm better than that guy, and I'm not really pointing to anyone, but you can just pretend like I am, or that guy, like, I sit closer to Jesus than them, right, because I did more. Like, the guy that got saved on the cross, he didn't hardly do anything. Like, we're definitely closer to Jesus than him, right? Like, our, our works come into play somewhere to earn us something, right? And this is what Paul says. It's excluded. But what kind of law? By law of works? So the law here is referring to, like, system or a principle, right? Like, what kind of system? Like, how does this work? It, how, how's it passed over, or how is it excluded? And he says, by the law of faith. Because of our sinful nature, we want to boast in what we do. Even as Christians, we struggle in this. We want people to notice us by, us, by our works. We want people to accept us by our works, whether it's through Facebook, Snapchat, Pinterest, whether it's because we bring a really big Bible with us to church, or we bring six small books, or whatever it is that we do, the way we dress, the way we talk. We constantly are giving out our spiritual resumes to one another. When someone asks, is, is that person a Christian? Or is this a, is this a good Christian? Well, a good Christian does this as if we become gooder. That's a word, right? We become gooder or more better. Like, those are all what we're taught to do. So my wife does the English teaching in our house. Um, if we become more better through our works... By reading the Bible, and by, by telling more people about Jesus, and, and by, by praying more, and by never missing a Sunday, which are all good things, but like, those make me better. As if Jesus did a great job giving me the righteousness, like I love his righteousness, but that was like a starting point. That's often how we treat the righteousness of Christ. And that's why we continue, even as Christians, to struggle with works. And we're saying, well, I gotta be better, I gotta work harder. I want to be accepted. I want people to notice how good I am. Our sin seeks to make everything about me and how I am better than others. Now, we even, even the person who struggles with depression will do this. They will say, well, you don't understand me. You don't know my pain. My pain is far worse than you've ever known. You see what we've all, all of a sudden done? My pain is this high. Your pain is down here. I will boast of my own pain to let you know how much I am going through and how much more suffering and more sympathy and mercy that I ought to deserve because of what I am going through. We constantly draw attention to what we have done. Our sin seeks to make everything about me and how I am better than others or somehow more worthy of God's grace. But listen, as believers in Jesus Christ, we have been saved from the constant battle of trying to prove ourselves. We don't have to prove ourselves. Look at what Paul says. Boasting is excluded. How? By the law of faith. Law means system or principle here, like we said. So he says, it's by the fact that you've been 
saved through faith, what Christ has done. Look at how Paul proves this. He says there is one God. There's not multiple gods. And this one God justifies the circumcised and the uncircumcised, meaning everyone, by faith. Not that some come by works and some by faith. Across the board, our works will not improve our status before God. Paul's reminding them of the gospel here. The one true God has sent forth his one and only son to die on the cross in order to redeem all who have faith in Jesus. Listen, because of your sin, you will continue to doubt your salvation. You will continue to struggle with thinking that you can earn your way to God. You will think that by reading the Bible more, never missing a Sunday, by doing really good things, you will improve your position before God. But you don't have to fight this battle every day. There is hope against this battle. There's a victory against this battle. There's justification through faith in Christ. What we need to do is what Paul does here is by reminding us that there's one God. We need to remember the gospel. We need to memorize not only Romans 3.23, but Romans 24 and 25. We need to look at justified by grace. We need to read God's word. For every time we open up the word of God, we're reading about the grace of God. Remember, the law and the prophets look forward to the day the righteousness of God would be revealed apart from the law. That means whether you're in Genesis or Revelation, everything is about revealing the righteousness of God that comes by grace through faith in Christ all who believe the reason we strive for acceptance by our works is because we forget the anxiety the anxiety freeing sin destroying truth of the gospel tim keller said this he's a pastor on the other side of the country and he said the in christianity the verdict leads to performance it's not the performance that leads to the verdict we cannot get these confused you're declared righteous and then you live righteous not Try to get righteous, and then you earn the declaration. You receive the verdict, righteous, so that then you would live righteous, not the other way around. The truth of justification by faith alone is like a giant wrecking ball destroying our sinful attempts to better ourselves by our works and to earn a closer place to God. So I encourage you, we need to remember the gospel every day. Every day, because your sinful nature wants to forget the gospel, wants to functionally deny the gospel. And as we remember the gospel, we need to rejoice in the gospel. Give praise, God, that's through justification. Don't just read Romans 3 and go, well, that's really cool, chapter 4. That's really fun, chapter 5. But we praise him. We take time, we slow down, and we say how this is good for us. And we say how this actually overcomes our sin. And we see that as we continually to read about the gospel, that continually God's grace is poured upon us, that we would better understand our justification, rest in the work of Jesus Christ, and rejoice in what he has done so we don't need to worry about what we need to try to do. The next thing we see, the second thing, justification by faith alone is the basis for keeping the law. Look at verse 31. Do we overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. He's kind of saying at this moment, so we're, we can't earn anything by works. We get that now, Paul. So I guess works don't matter at all. We just throw out the law and live however we want. 
That seems to be logical. Paul says, no. The law does not exclude, or faith does not exclude the law. It doesn't throw out the law. On contrary, faith upholds the law. Once we come to the understanding that we're made righteous through faith, now we approach the law through faith. And we see that it's no longer a weight weighing down upon us, but it's like a guide showing us how to live out our faith in Christ so that we would worship him, so that we would glorify him, so that we would rejoice in him. We would see, what does it look like to live a righteous life? The law is given as a guide at that moment, not to oppress us and say, you've fallen short, but we know that we've already been accepted by the work of Christ, so now the law functions as a way of how to live that way, as a guide, revealing to us the righteousness of God and what it is to live as he has called us to live. No longer do we live as a way to obtain righteous, but we live out of our righteousness. There's a lot here. Romans 3, it's huge. Uh, when you question your salvation, when you find yourself battling if you're good enough, when you struggle with assurance of your salvation, come to Romans 3. Remember the gospel, rejoice in the gospel. You are not saved by works. You are saved by the finished work of Jesus Christ, by grace, through faith, in Christ. And that's what we're looking at next week, in Christ. We're just going to look at how everything comes in Christ. We need to remind ourselves of that daily. You are saved. You are justified before God by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Never forget that. There's no greater truth. Let's pray. Father, well, there's, there's a mine of theology here. It's deep and it's rich with veins of gold of theology. The truths are amazing in this passage, and yet we have touched on them. Lord, I pray that you awaken our hearts to the understanding that salvation is only through faith alone. I pray that you awaken us, that we see how good that is, that we would taste the glory and the grace that is found in Jesus Christ, that he has done everything that is required so that we come, not by our works, but through the work of Jesus Christ, through faith in him. And by that, we are declared righteous without having to add anything, without having to supply anything of our own selves. We are simply, by the goodness of your mercy and grace, declared righteous. God, may we know that today. If we have believed in you, we are righteous, declared righteous. And it's not ours. It's nothing that we've improved upon, but it's the alien righteousness of Jesus Christ imputed to us that we stand with full assurance before you, knowing that we are innocent, that we are righteous before you because of the work of your Son, Jesus Christ. In your wonderful name, Jesus, amen.